So as I hope you all noticed and heard all summer, our focus this summer has been on our Unitarian Universalist six sources, which are in your order of service and the front of our hymnal. And so because there were 12 Sundays this summer, you've heard a worship service uh, twice for each source. And you've had some very interesting guests uh, that I wish I could have heard with you. So today is uh, my final six sources sermon, and it is addressing our fourth source, Jewish and Christian teachings which call us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbors as ourselves. Now, of course, the wisdom that we can get from Jewish and Christian teachings includes more than loving our neighbors as ourselves, yet it is this command that lies at the heart of teachings in both Judaism and Christianity. And so today, that is my focus. For many people, both Christian and non-Christian, whether or not the Christian Bible stories of Jesus are literal and factual truth is not important at all. Like, we don't care. That's not the point. Like me, they revere the Hebrew and Christian Bibles as powerful, sacred, disturbing, weird, interesting, funny, and informative texts of stories and teachings. For such people who may or may not believe in the divinity of Jesus, there is much cause for hope and celebration in the life and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. As Christian theologians Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan observe, we have been and are passionate about the meaning of Jesus and the Bible as a whole for Christian life today. Our involvement with the sacred texts of our tradition has always been about what does then have to do with now? And because we live in the United States, we are especially concerned with the question, what does then have to do with now, this now, our now? As Unitarian Universalists, we can add even a bit more to the question, making it, what does then have to do with this now, our now, as Unitarian Universalists, some of whom are Christian and some not? That really is the larger framing question for us in the congregation today. So this morning, I'm going to speak to Jesus' most important teaching during his last week in Jerusalem. And to frame it, I'm going to remind you of what I preached here last Easter, when I preached that Jesus' purpose in going to Jerusalem, his sole purpose, was to resist nonviolently the Roman Empire's domination of the Jewish people. Jesus led an Occupy Jerusalem movement that week, so I want to remind you of that first. Christian theologian Mark, Marcus Borg sets the stage for a contemporary understanding of Jesus' last week in Jerusalem and the many teachings that Jesus gave then. He says... A more recent and increasingly powerful framework is historical. It seeks to understand the story of the Holy Week within its first century context of early Christianity in the New Testament. So, 
Historically, for those first century and later Christians, Holy Week was about a series of public provocative challenges to the Roman and Jewish authorities that ultimately led to Jesus's arrest and execution. It is a story of Jesus being faithful to the creation of the kingdom of God on earth, a kingdom of love, nonviolence, and justice. As Borg and Dominic Crossan say in their book on Holy Week, Jesus went to the capital city of his people to confront Roman imperial power and religious collaboration with it. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing and appeared to plan every bit of it carefully until the moment he was betrayed. And as Crossan notes, given Jesus's intentions and activity, it is truly amazing that he lasted as long as he did that week. And one way to describe, as I said, what Jesus did, according to Christian scholars of our time, one way to understand it is that for almost a week, Jesus led Occupy Jerusalem. Through his actions and his teachings, Jesus occupied Jerusalem against the oppression and greed of the Roman Empire and the Jewish leaders who chose to collaborate with it. And that was what I talked about this last Easter. So today, I'm addressing the question of what does then have to do with now, this now, our now as Unitarian Universalists, some of whom are Christian and some not. I'm looking at that question from a different focus. Jesus did not occupy Jerusalem against the oppression and greed of the Roman Empire through violence, through fighting, or physical rebellion. Rather, what he taught his entire life was resistance to the domination culture. Because the Roman Empire was all about domination of social class and status and hierarchy of power of money, of religion, of domination through all forms of hierarchy and control and violence. So what Jesus taught and lived and imagined for all of us during his last week in Jerusalem was a way of living that stood in complete opposition and contrast to the domination modeled by the Romans and their Jewish collaborators. We hear the story of Holy Week in greatest detail in the book of Mark in the New Testament. Mark was the first gospel written, it's the oldest, 35 years or so after Jesus' death, around the year 65 or 70 of the Common Era. And of course, we don't know who wrote any of these books, but the author was likely a non-Jewish follower of Jesus. So throughout the book of Mark, we hear Jesus' message of the kingdom of God on earth and the way to it. In Greek, the word for way is hodos, and Mark uses the word over and over again. In English, its repetition in Mark is not so obvious because it's translated variously as road or path in addition to way, 
but in Greek, there is only the one word, hodos. The very opening verses of Mark proclaim that it's about the way. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That's Mark book 1, verses 2 and 3. And the way of Jesus, in contrast to the way of the Romans, is seen dramatically when Jesus came in to Jerusalem. First, Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. The huge crowds cover his path with their cloaks and palm branches. They are shouting over and over again, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of David. Hosanna in the highest. They see Jesus as the heir to David's throne, as the Messiah, the anointed one, who will finally deliver Israel from its oppressors. Jesus is riding on a donkey, and in a number of places in the Hebrew Bible, in Zechariah, in 2 Samuel, and 1 Kings, a king riding on a donkey is making a royal claim to power, but it's power combined with humility, symbolized by the humble donkey. Contrast Jesus' way of entering, a way of humility and peace, with the simultaneous entry of the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. Pilate entered the city in imperial procession at the head of thousands of foot soldiers and cavalry. These troops were brought in specifically to keep order during the Jewish festival of Passover. Because in recent years before the events uh, of Jesus' week in Jerusalem, that Passover festival in Jerusalem had been the occasion of a number of revolts against the Romans. And these revolts had been put down with overwhelming violence. So Borg and Crossan invite us to imagine this imperial procession as a visual panoply of imperial power. Cavalry on horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners, Golden eagles mounted on poles, sun glinting on metal and gold. Sounds, the marching of feet, the creaking of leather, the clinking of bridles, the beating of drums, the sounding of horns, the swirling of dust, the eyes of the silent onlookers, some curious, some odd, some resentful. And so for the rest of the week, Jesus lives and acts and teaches his way of nonviolent resistance. Jewish collaborators try to trick him into uttering treasonous or blasphemous words against the Roman government or religion. None of the tricks work, and the people surround and protect Jesus until he is betrayed. And during his last week, among many other teachings, Jesus tells his followers and also tells us, here and now, he tells us exactly what is required for living his way. And we hear it in the 12th chapter of Mark, verses 28 through 34. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, 
And seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is first of all? This is a scribe asking the question, one of the temple authorities, Jewish collaborators sent to try to trap Jesus into betraying himself as a rebel or a heretic. Yet interestingly, this scribe asked the question simply and straightforwardly. He may have been sent to trap, but he genuinely seems engaged. It's a good question. What commandment is first? What is most central, most fundamental? What matters most? What is the foundation of God's way for living in this world? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now these words are from the book of Deuteronomy in the Hebrew Bible. Jews in Jesus of time, including of course Jesus himself, who was never anything but a Jew until the day he died, Jews recited this text twice daily during morning and evening prayers in the temple. That first phrase, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is known today as the Shema. Many observant Jews say it the first thing in the morning and the last before sleeping. Jesus goes on. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So, the twofold great commandment is to love God and love your neighbor. Those raised in the Christian tradition have heard this so much that as Borg and Crossan note, it has almost become a Christian cliche. But at the time when Jesus said it, it was radical. To love God above all else means giving all that you have to God. We belong to God and not to Caesar, not to any rulers of this world. To love our neighbors as ourselves means to refuse to accept the divisions demanded by the Greco-Roman culture of Jesus' time and by the culture of our time. Divisions between friends and enemies, Jews and Gentiles, blacks and whites, the respected and the marginalized, the poor and the rich, between men or women and non-gender binary people, between queer people and not queer people. So Jesus does something completely new here by saying that the kingdom of God on earth is based on loving your God and loving your neighbor as you do yourself. To live by that great way is to live always at peace, always in equality, always with justice, always with love. The scribe sent to attract Jesus truly seems impressed. Then the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and beside him there is no other and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. 
When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask Jesus any question. So Jesus affirms the scribe's understanding of this great commandment. Jesus saw the scribe and answered wisely and sincerely. So Jesus concludes by saying the scribe is not far from the kingdom of God. The scribe is not far because he now knows what is at the heart of the kingdom of God, to love God, to love your neighbor. But to be truly in the kingdom of God on this earth, you must live the great commandment. Not just know it, but live it. So to go back to the original question, what does that then have to do with this now, our now, as Unitarian Universalists, some of whom are Christian and some not, in a world filled with people, some of whom are Christian and some not? This great way that Jesus teaches after his humble entry into Jerusalem can be a great way, a powerful way, for anyone to live, including Unitarian Universalists with any variety of belief. To love God can be understood as loving what is greater than ourselves. To love what we hold to be sacred and worthy, to love what is bigger than any of our human smallness and pettiness. Now we might know that as God or goddess or by some other name. We might know that larger worthy thing as the earth itself or even the entire universe. We might recognize what is greater than ourselves in the collective force of human will and intention, or as our beloved community here, and or as something else altogether. The point is that larger thing, however you experience it or know it, is worthy of our love, our respect, our care, and our attention. That phrase, to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, that phrase really puzzled me when I first heard it a long time ago. I didn't get it. Now, leaving aside the concept of God, which was problematic for me, uh, even at the age of six, I wondered, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? How do I love that abstraction with so much strength? Like, do I grit my teeth and scrunch up my face and clench my hands, you know, to love so strongly towards that which is greater than I? You know, I'm really trying. You know, I, I can't send this greater thing, flowers or a card, to show my love. Or can I? This two-phrase statement of Jesus's is known as the great commandment, not plural commandments, but singular. In loving that which is greater than ourselves with all of our mind, soul, heart, and strength, we live what we know to be sacred and worthy. The loving is not the emotion, it is the living to live the great commandment, to live the great way, is to love what is greater than ourselves by loving our neighbors. It's a single statement. 
The larger worthy thing in our lives does not need our chocolate or flowers or love directly. We don't need to grit our teeth or scrunch up our faces to send it love strongly. We show our love, respect, care, and attention to that larger thing by offering love, respect, care, and attention to everything and everyone around us. We love God by loving our neighbors. So here's the magical part. Living this great commandment, this great way of Jesus, is the path to loving those folks and those things we may not personally like or love very much at all. My biggest struggle, and I'm not saying it's over, in my early formation as a minister, one of my big concerns was how am I going to love the people in my congregations and others whom I may not like personally? How, I'm, how am I going to love folks who might behave very badly at times? How I came to my answer on that through a very painful process that took some months and years is that I finally realized I didn't have to. It didn't have to be my personal love any more than I needed to grit my teeth and scrunch up my face to love what is larger than I. What I need to do is be a channel for a greater love, a larger love, that is not my own. So my work is to step back and put myself aside and let that love flow. Because that love is always real. And it is much bigger and much better than I am. It was truly a relief when I came to this. It felt like I had put down an enormous burden. And that is the living of the great commandment, the great way. And by his own claim, it is the most important thing Jesus ever taught. To love God by loving our neighbor in every way. That's how you love God, or whatever it is you call all that exceeds you. The other good news here is that we have all the tools we need at our fingertips to do this. We have lots of tools and guides. Tools and guides such as our UU7 principles, the Christian Ten Commandments, the Buddhist Eightfold Path, and the many, many other statements made by human individuals and groups about what is right, what is of value, what is ethical, what is moral, what is worthy. The many tools and guides that instruct us on how to love our neighbors as ourselves. Whether our neighbors are our friends or those who oppose us, whether our neighbors are known to us or strangers, and whether or not we particularly personally like or love our neighbors. We have all that we need. And in this religious community of Unitarian Universalists, we have people who will walk with us and support us as we head along this great way. And to remind us lovingly when we have strayed from it. So here are some spiritual questions for you to ponder in the coming weeks and I hope beyond spiritual questions about the way. When Jesus made his way into Jerusalem, 
he was the leader of one procession, a procession of humility and peace and love for all. And on the other side of town came the procession of dominance, of division, of bullying, disrespect, violence, and hatred. Here are your spiritual questions. Which procession are you in? And which procession do you want to be in? May you choose and may you live your way wisely and well. Amen, blessed be, Hosanna in the highest.